Are you feeling discouraged today? Consider this, Jesus is risen. Here's Pastor John Randall. Maybe today you've forgotten the words of Jesus, that he's risen again, and you're in a dark place, a discouraged place. You need to know today that your Redeemer lives. And the fact that Jesus is alive, oh, it changes everything. By the way, that's one of the reasons we're here this morning. If Jesus wasn't alive, you got up for no reason. You could have slept in, but you know that he's alive. And that is why we are here. Welcome once again to the daily radio ministry of Calvary South OC. Our program is called A Daily Walk. And today our teacher, Pastor John Randall, brings us another message in his series in Luke's Gospel. It's really impossible to put into words the impact the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and his resurrection have had on the world. It is the single most important event in human history. John will offer some thoughts on this scene today as we look at the crucifixion. What a wonderful truth we discover here, that Jesus fulfilled his purpose by dying on the cross for our sins. Here's Pastor John in Luke 23. One thing's for sure, we do not have the capacity to fully appreciate the utterly horrific experience of having the sins of the world placed upon Jesus as he hung there in excruciating pain from the cross. The physical pain is one thing in and of itself, but the spiritual pain was even greater. I believe that is why when we get to heaven, we will understand exactly what it meant for Jesus to come and to take our place. And any crown that we have received, any reward that we have been given, we will simply throw it down at the feet of Jesus and declare worthy is the lamb that was slain. Because Jesus was forsaken, you never have to be forsaken. He was already forsaken so that you could be received. As he continued to die upon the cross, Jesus then uttered a fifth statement from the cross recorded in John chapter 19, verse 20. And he said this, I thirst, I thirst. In John chapter four, you remember that Jesus made it a priority to pass through the area of Samaria with his disciples. And as he was making his way through Samaria, he came to a well, and there was a woman there. And Jesus began to engage in a conversation with her, asking her for a drink. She was somewhat surprised at this request because she was a Samaritan woman, and he was a Jew and a teacher. But you remember Jesus told this woman, he said, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Jesus was not talking about something physical. He was talking about something spiritual. This woman did not understand what he was saying. But in essence, Jesus was saying, listen, you can drink from this well, or you can drink from the well that she was currently drinking from. She had been in five relationships with men that were not her husband, and the man that she was living with at that present time was not her husband. And Jesus pointed this out. This woman was empty. She had been drinking from this well, and she was not satisfied. And thus Jesus said, if you drink from this well, you'll thirst again. But the water that I will give you, if you will drink from it, you'll never thirst again. In Matthew chapter five, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. 
In John chapter 7, verse 37, it says, On the last day, the great day of the feast, that Jesus stood up and he cried out and he said these words, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, for Jesus had not yet been glorified. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, if you're thirsty, if if you find that the world, the wells of this world that can hold no water, they're broken cisterns, if you realize that you are empty and you will come to me, you will never thirst again. What I am offering you can absolutely transform you. It can satisfy the deepest longings in your soul. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can provide that. And so he's saying, if you're thirsty, then come to me. Let me ask you a question this morning. As Jesus is hanging on the cross saying, I thirst, I wonder if you could say, I thirst, I thirst for him. Do you have a thirst for God? Do you have a desire for more of him? Do you have the heart of the psalmist that said, as the deer pants at the water brook, so my soul pants for you, O God. Are you thirsty for him? You remember Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 55, everyone who thirsts, Come to the waters is an invitation. If you're thirsty, if you've been drinking from the wells of this world and you realize I am not satisfied, Jesus says, come, whoever you are, whatever your situation, whatever your background, whatever your sin, whatever you're into, come and drink freely. It reminds me of a song that I learned as a young boy. The lyrics were as follows. Jesus said, come to the water and stand by my side. I know you are thirsty. You won't be denied. I felt every teardrop when in darkness you cried and I strove to remind you that for those tears, I died. Have you come to the water? Have you drank deeply of what Jesus provides What an amazing thing to think that Jesus had to be thirsty so that our thirst could be quenched in him. In the midst of his agony, in the midst of his pain, in the midst of his separation from his father, Jesus made a sixth statement found in John chapter 19, verse 30, and it is probably one of the most important statements in all of the Bible. And it was this. It is finished. The Greek phrase is te telestai, and it means paid in full. In the Greco-Roman culture, te telestai could be used in different ways. For example, an artist, after he had painted his masterpiece, could announce that the picture is perfect. Te telestai, it's finished, it's done. It's complete. And here is Jesus hanging upon the cross, the master artisan declaring from the cross, the picture of salvation that has been drawn from eternity past was always perfect, but now it's complete. This is it. The final strokes have been made. This is the picture of salvation. This is the picture of redemption. It's finished. This phrase could also be used of a servant who could confidently say, te telestai to his master when his work was complete. Here is Jesus, the suffering servant, 
finishing and completing the work that his father had given him to complete, and he could say boldly and triumphantly, it's done, it's finished. A soldier could also use this phrase when he had defeated his enemy, he could say, you are finished, or te telestai, it is done, finished, complete. And Jesus' cry from the cross was not one of despair or defeat. It was one of victory. Jesus was saying to the enemy, it's finished, it's done, it's complete. There's nothing you can do to add to the finished work of Christ. It's also important to point out not only the words themselves, but the way in which they were said. The New Testament is translated into the Greek language, and this phrase, tetelestai, it is finished, is what Greek scholars call in the perfect passive indicative tense. You say, what does that mean? It means this. It indicates that the progress of an action has been completed, and the result of that action is ongoing with full and complete effect. It is finished. Jesus came to fulfill God's law. He said in Matthew chapter 5, don't think that I came to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. God's law had been broken because of sin. But Jesus comes in perfect fulfillment of the requirements of the law, living a perfect, sinless life, pays the penalty that the law demands. Taking the handwriting of requirements, the book of Colossians says, and nailed it to the cross. Jesus not only came to fulfill God's law, but Jesus came to reveal God's love. In Romans chapter 5, Paul put it this way, when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man would one die, yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus fulfilled the requirements of the law. He revealed God's love, and Jesus came to give his life a ransom for many. Because Jesus gave his life for me, I can now live for him. It was through his perfect earthly existence, sacrificial death, bodily, physical resurrection that the work has been completed. There is nothing, nothing more to add, nothing more to be done by God, by man, or any religious institution. The undeniable, factual, historic, and eternal work of Jesus Christ has been completed, is complete, and will forever remain completed. It is finished, amen? The debt that I owe to God, I could never pay Jesus paid it. It has been rightly said, we owed a debt we could not pay, and Jesus paid the debt that he did not owe. The cross of Christ was sufficient for salvation. It is finished. But Jesus then made a seventh and final statement from the cross that is recorded here in Luke's gospel, chapter 23, verse 46. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice. He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. 
Jesus completed the mission, and then he laid down his life. Jesus said at one point, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down. Greater love has no man than this, than he laid down his life for his friends. And at that moment, Jesus laid down his life, committed his life into the hands of the Father. I love that phrase, into your hands I commit my spirit. Have you done that? Have you committed your life into the hands of the Father? Do you know that he has better intentions and better ideas than anything you could come up with? Do you know the good hand of God desires to be upon you? Have you committed your life into the hands of the Father? They are loving hands, friend. Jesus has now died. His physical life has ended. But when he died, the Bible also records a number of things took place simultaneously right after his death. For one thing, Matthew chapter 27 and even Luke alludes to it here that behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, Matthew 27 says, and the earth quaked and the rocks were split and the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Listen carefully, after Jesus died, for one thing, the veil in the temple was ripped from the very top to the very bottom. This veil is believed to be the veil that separated the holy place from the holiest of all places where the Ark of the Covenant was placed. The Ark of the Covenant was in the Holy of Holies and it represented the throne of God on the earth. And so after Jesus died, this veil was ripped. Normally, the high priest could only go into this holiest of all places one time a year on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. He would offer a sacrifice up, a lamb. He would take the blood of that lamb, pass through the veil, and then he would pour out the blood upon the mercy seat, and the sins of the nation would be atoned for. But here is Jesus now dying upon a cross as the Lamb of God, and the veil is ripped. And it's as if it was to say a number of things. For one thing, the Old Testament sacrificial system is done away with. There's no more need for any sacrifice. Jesus was the one sacrifice. He paid for it all. No more need for a sacrifice. Furthermore, it would declare that anyone, whoever they are, has access into the presence of the Lord. They can come before the throne of grace in time of need and receive help. It's open. It's open. This is something God did through the death of his son, that you can come before him and you can come into his presence. Yet not only was the veil of the temple torn, but Matthew also tells us that there was an earthquake. And when the earth quaked, it says that the rocks split and graves were opened up and people who were formerly dead came back to life and walked into the city. Imagine that. You just had a funeral for your grandmother a week before and you're still mourning and grieving and the next thing you know, it's a knock at the door. It's grandma. She's saying, what's for Passover? I mean, she's... This is what happened. Saints are walking around the city. And when that happened, it says here that there was a response from the centurion who was at the foot of the cross. As all of this was unfolding, it says in verse 47, when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God and said, certainly this was a righteous man. And the whole crowd came together to that site, seeing what had been done. And they beat upon their breasts and returned but all his acquaintances and women who followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. As Jesus now has died, many were standing, watching, observing what had happened, and they realized it's over. It's done. 
He's gone. At that moment, it was time to prepare now for his burial. And we read in verse 50, Behold, there was a man named Joseph. He was a council member, a good man, a just man. He had not consented to their decision and deed. He was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. And this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. This man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea, along with, John's gospel tells us, Nicodemus, who came to Jesus in the middle of the night and was told he had to be born again. Both of these men came to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus that they might bury it. Normally, normally the bodies of those who had been crucified would be taken down off the cross and thrown away as garbage in the trash can. But they came and they asked for the body. They had not been consenting to Jesus' death. They did not agree with what took place. And so they took a stand and came to Pilate personally and said, we want to bury him. And Pilate granted them their request. Now, it's important to realize that they only had a short amount of time to prepare Jesus's body for burial. Jesus, according to the chronology, died close to around 3 p.m. Sabbath started at 6. So they have three hours to take the body down to prepare it. And it wasn't really enough time, but they did what they could. And so they took the body, it says in verse 53, and they wrapped it in linen they laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of the rock where no one had ever lain before. And that day was the preparation and the Sabbath drew near. And when the women had come with him from Galilee, followed after, they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices, fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. Again, when you look at the gospel narratives collectively and you read of the burial of Jesus, we know for one thing in Matthew 27 that Joseph took the body and laid it in his own tomb. It was a family tomb that belonged to him. We also know from Mark chapter 15 that it was hewn out of a rock. It was inside of a hill. Luke 23 tells us here no one had ever been laid in this tomb yet up to this point. And John chapter 19, verse 41 tells us that it was near the place where Jesus was crucified, near Golgotha. That is why when you go to Israel today, there is a tomb that is located right below Golgotha. Interesting, nowadays there's a bus station right below it, but there is this area where there is a tomb that is hewn out. I have been there, I have seen it. By the way, it's empty. But when you go there, <laughs> we don't know for sure if it's the exact tomb. It makes no difference to me. Jesus is alive, that you can be sure of. But when you go there, it's right outside the city, outside the city walls. It's right below Golgotha. It's in a garden. It very well could be. But Jesus is alive. So Joseph and Nicodemus, they now prepare. And someone I read talked about how you prepare a body for burial. We know that according to John 19, they brought 75 pounds of aromatic spices in order to prepare the body. 
The grave clothes, when you would prepare a body for burial, according to Jewish custom, it would be washed and then it would be straightened. And then it would be bandaged tightly from the armpits to the ankles with strips of linen about a foot wide. And those spices, often of a, of a sticky consistency, were placed between the wrappings or the folds and they served partially as a preservative and partially as cement to glue the cloth wrappings as you would be covered. And that's what they did to Jesus. They didn't have time to do all of it, but they did what they could and then they placed him inside of that tomb. And the Bible says that a stone was rolled over over it. I remember reading of structural engineers who tried to determine how much the stone weighed. I forget how they figured it out and came to the conclusion, but they estimated that it could have weighed somewhere between 1.5 or 2 tons, 3,000 to 4,000 pounds, and, and it was rolled over the grave there. Now, when Jesus had been placed in the grave and the, and the stone had been rolled over, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, also went to Pilate, and they asked for guards to be placed at the tomb because they knew that Jesus said in three days he was going to rise again. I find that interesting because here you have the disciples who walked with him, and Jesus told them repeatedly, on the third day I'm going to rise again, and they weren't at the tomb. But his enemies, they listened to what he said. They had more faith. <laughs> and they said, just in case he comes out or somebody comes and tries to steal the body, we want people there. And Pilate was so frustrated at this point. He said, you just go do what you want to do. And they placed a seal over it, had, a, had an official seal placed on it, and guards were there. And at that moment, the Sabbath came. The women are at home. They're just waiting for the Sabbath to end so they can go early in the morning on Sunday to go to that tomb and, and to also pay their respects and to finish the process that had begun. But they were concerned about one thing in particular, who's going to roll the stone away? How are we going to get in? I point this out to you to say this. They weren't anticipating a risen Savior. They were expecting a dead Savior, but they didn't know. They were at the worst point in their lives, the lowest point they have ever been up to this point. Jesus is dead. All their hopes are gone, all their dreams, the kingdom, it's over. They are so broken for what they didn't know that was in only a few hours. Jesus would be risen from the dead and their lives would be forever changed. We've been reflecting on Christ's death on the cross today on a daily walk. Just part of Pastor John Randall's study in Luke. He'll be right back with more. Hear the study again anytime you'd like at adailywalk.org and sign up for our free podcast so you can start receiving biblical encouragement on a regular basis. If you'd rather have a CD copy sent your way, that's available for a cost of $5. You can order by phone at 877-242-0828. Have you downloaded our free app? This is a great way to listen to weekly teachings from John. Search for Calvary South OC. It's always encouraging to hear from our listeners. Even just a brief email letting us know you're listening and where means a lot. It's an opportunity to say thanks to God for what he's doing. Share a praise report or a prayer request today. You can email that to us at adailywalk at gmail.com. That's adailywalk at gmail.com. We've got a timely resource to share with you today. It's Barry Stagner's book, The Time of the Signs. This will give you a chronology of Earth's final events. As you study the signs Jesus foretold, you'll gather evidence that proves we are living in the very time of these signs. You'll also gain a clear understanding of what will happen and when. 
That's the time of the signs. Just $12 at adailywalk.org. You can also call 877-242-0828. A Daily Walk is made possible through the support of listeners just like you. With your help, we're able to deliver God's good news all over the nation and world. Would you consider helping us in this venture to get the word out? People are being blessed and helped in their daily walk. Again, to make a secure donation, drop by adailywalk.org or call us 877-242-0828. With these concluding thoughts, here is Pastor John. Maybe today you've forgotten the words of Jesus, that he's risen again. And you're in a dark place, a discouraged place. You need to know today that your Redeemer lives. And the fact that Jesus is alive, oh, it changes everything. By the way, that's one of the reasons we're here this morning. If Jesus wasn't alive, you got up for no reason. You could have slept in. But you know that he's alive. And that is why we are here. Someone said, it was Friday when he died, but Sundays are coming. And Jesus would reveal himself as the risen Savior. What a blessing to know that our sins have been paid for, that it's been finished, that it's been done. There's nothing that you could do to add to the work, for to add to the work would be to take away from it. It's finished. It's complete. Rest in it. Trust in it. And if you're not saved here this morning, if you've never received Jesus as your Savior, friend, don't leave this place without humbling yourself and even like that thief on the cross saying, remember me. He'll do more than remember you. He will redeem you. He'll save you. Encourage you to respond to the love of God today. Next time on A Daily Walk, our attention turns to the resurrection of Christ as our study of Luke takes us to chapter 24. Come back for that. And remember, friend, the work of salvation is finished. Receive and believe that. This program is brought to you by Calvary South OC and made possible through the support of our listeners.